Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Jeannie Ives sitting in for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring the occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Jonathan Greenberg. He's in the studio with us. He's the Director of Freedom Initiatives at the Jack Miller Family Foundation. Charles Lipson, he'll be on Zoom. He's with the University of Chicago. David Mascarata, he's on Zoom also. He's a progressive journalist and a friend. He's an author of I Am Somebody. Also in the studio with us, Paul Vallis, education consultant and former CPS superintendent. In our second hour, we will have Peter Breen also on Zoom. He is an attorney with the Thomas More Society. He's been handling some cases on those vaccine mandates and religious exemptions. Our program is coming to you tonight from our new flagship station, WIND AM 560, The Answer in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are open now. Call in at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. And so we begin. And I specifically, in our first hour, had on Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Chicago. His areas of specialization include international relations, international political economy, and modern international history. Charles is a frequent guest on Beyond the Beltway. I've asked him on tonight's show, given his background in international relations, political science, and economics. Charles. In the first hour, we're going to discuss the international situation looking at happenings in Afghanistan and the South China Seas over the skies of Taiwan. And then we're going to turn to your recent commentary published in Real Clear Politics this week called It's Not the Top Line Number, It's the Bottom Line Goal. But let's start with Afghanistan. As I remind all on the panel and those listening that we are at day 40 of Americans held hostage in Afghanistan and at the mercy of the Taliban. Something the Democrats do not want to tell you, talk about, and certainly their preferred news stations. Wall Street Journal front page yesterday, several dozen worshipers were killed in a bombing at a Shiite mosque, mosque in Afghanistan's northern city of Kandans on Friday. Witnesses and officials said it's the deadliest Islamic state attack in the country since U.S. forces withdrew in August. Friday's explosion took place at around 1 p.m. local time, just as the mosque was opening. It was packed with worshipers attending the weekly sermon. A spokesman for the provisional government said that at least 46 people were killed in the suicide blast. Health officials in the city put the death toll at well over 100. Islamic State, in a related statement released Friday afternoon, named the suicide bomber as a member of China's Uyghur Muslim community. So, That's what we have starting out. We've got attacks in Afghanistan, and then we had this. Axios sat down with Afghanistan's ambassador to the United Nations, Adela Raz, last week. In the interview, she said she has lost her country and her faith in the U.S. government, and her life's work of liberating women and girls is in a shambles. Here were some other points she made, and I'd like you to respond to this, Charles, first. Raz said bluntly, she doesn't think President Biden cares about the fate of Afghan women and girls. 
She also revealed new details to Axios indicating that former President uh, Ghani's secret escape was more premeditated than publicly known. She refuses to recognize the Taliban ban or leave her post and said she still considers herself her country's ambassador. But the Biden administration has declined to meet with her. She also said she no longer trusts the U.S. government and doubts any Afghan will trust the U.S. policies for very long. So, Charles, what to do about Afghanistan now? We are months of a couple years away. Are we months of a couple years away from going back in? Charles? Uh, There's very little uh, public uh, support for going back in unless there's a direct attack on the U.S. homeland uh, or... Uh, possibly if the hostage situation becomes a more public kind of issue, which means photographs and, and all, the, all the rest. I would say that uh, the biggest problem uh, coming out of Afghanistan for the Biden administration is the growing public sense that the president is incompetent and that his basic decisions are imprudent, not well thought out. Uh, He's unwilling to answer questions about them. Uh, My general sense is that he was elected president because uh, Trump was voted out of office. That is, Mm. if Trump had run unopposed, he would have lost. And what people are now seeing is Biden in office, and they're seeing disaster after disaster. There are almost no victories. There's very little that people can point to. And Afghanistan is both a foreign policy problem and it's a significant image problem because as soon as you're deemed incompetent, uh, not up to the office, it's almost impossible to turn that image around. Well, and if anything, uh, David, looking at this, I mean, the incompetence was on full display from the military generals who executed the program and then threw uh, Biden under the bus later in in Senate testimony to just really what the public saw in terms of uh, Americans literally being left behind. But, uh, you know, here's my faith, you know, my fear, David. Uh, Afghanistan, is it going to be a distant memory to voters a year from now when the midterms are taking place? I mean, that's obviously what the Democrats are hoping for. It certainly isn't in the news as much as it should be. And again, the only person keeping tally of how many days it's been is um, Scott Walker's Facebook page. And he tallies it every day, how many days uh, since Americans have been left behind. Well, um, Americans typically don't care much about foreign policy and international affairs unless, as uh, Professor Lipson suggested, there's a direct attack or threat Uh, to the American people that's easily digestible to them. But I would ask that we enlarge this question of competence and incompetence. Uh, It wasn't prudent or well thought out for the United States government to support the Mujahideen in the late 1970s and through the 80s, which created the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. It wasn't prudent or well thought out for the United States to give monetary aid to the Taliban right up until the 9-11 attacks. And it wasn't prudent or well thought out as the leaked Pentagon papers prove beyond any doubt 
for the United States to stay in Afghanistan for 20 years, particularly after the Taliban offered an unconditional surrender as early as December of 2001. So United States policy vis-a-vis Afghanistan is a perfect illustration of imperial stupidity and cruelty. And therefore we shouldn't be surprised that the withdrawal could have been done much better and has had adverse consequences on the people there. Okay, hey David, coming back after the break is Jonathan on this question. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a show. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
totally Hey, we're back with you. And uh, we were having a little side conversation here. And uh, Jonathan Greenberg reminded me that we do sometimes things in foreign policy realm that uh, may benefit us short term, but long term, uh, completely ignore our history. And David, you, you capitalized on that point. You just basically said, listen, you know, Afghanistan's been a problem since really Alexander the Great. Uh, and, and it certainly has. And I don't think there's anybody sitting at this table here and on this conversation with us, Charles Lipson or any of us, that would say that uh, what we did in Afghanistan was, was, was done correctly for the last 20 years. I certainly would. And I'm an I'm a Army veteran. I'm a West Point graduate. And I look at this and, and my classmates and I, when we discuss it, we're like, we should have been out in the first six months done what we had to do with the Taliban, uh, taken them out, and then gone home. Uh, that didn't happen. Pakistan's still a problem. Uh, but regardless, David, the way that this was exited is on the Biden administration. It is on his general. It is generals. It is on his planning staff. It was his debacle. There are still Americans behind uh, enemy lines. And in fact, there could be up to 4,000 Americans still behind enemy lines. At the, at, and they are enemy lines, by the way. The Taliban is not our friend. Uh, They are an adversary. And so, Jonathan, uh, listen, you studied in Israel. You have relatives living there now. And the question, the broader question about what happened in Afghanistan is, do our friends in the Mideast now question U.S. commitment and loyalty after the abrupt and bungled withdrawal from Afghanistan? Well, I think they've been questioning questioning our commitment for an awful long time. I don't think this is anything new. Um, I, I think who is questioning us is different. You know, there were... There were strong critiques of President Biden on the floor of the House of Commons in England, um, uh, you know, after the Afghanistan exit. Uh, there were condemnations of the policy all over the world, including many of our best allies. So I, I don't I don't think that's new, though. I think that, you know, our our allies in the Middle East were concerned about what we were doing during the Obama administration when they decided to cut a deal with the Iranians For on their sure. nuclear program. Um, the Europeans didn't much like the policies pursued by President Trump. Uh, so I, I think, you know, whenever you pursue what you want, uh, somebody's not going to like it. Well, the uh, Europeans didn't want right, to pay up. Right. What we need to, what we, right. But what <laughs> we need, we, I, I think, I think the best thing is to pursue our, our own goals. I think David's absolutely right about some of the unforeseen consequences of our, our behavior internationally. Um, but, you know, when you're trying to effectuate policy in the moment, sometimes you trample on things that are going to happen 20 years from now. Absolutely. So, Paul, uh, turning to you, you're, you're former military. You have a, a son who served in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, how do you assess this from, you know, a General Milley level, though, and his decisions that he made uh, in concert with his other generals on pulling out? Well, first of all, I, I have to just say one thing about General Milley. I, I love the way he contradicted himself in testimony uh, you know where he was ba- he basically said that he did not resign the question was why didn't you resign if if you advised the president about the having between 2500 and 3500 troops there and of course you knew he was making the right decision you didn't resign in protest and he lectured us about civilian control over the military and of course this was the same guy who called the chinese <laughs> and to have a conversation with him and to tell him, don't worry, we're kind of managing the transition to the new administration and we won't attack you. So it, it's not, you know, I'm not suggesting that <laughs> he wasn't being irresponsible. I, I just I just thought it was was very hypocritical. Uh, look, we are we sometimes seem to be totally ignorant of history 
I mean, anybody who understands Afghanistan knows it's not a country. It's just a territory, and mm -hmm. no one has ever passed, pacified Afghanistan. <laughs> ask Alexander the Great. Ask the British. Ask the Ask the Russians. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should have gone in, sealed Bora Bora, not left it to the Northern Alliance to take out the to take out uh, Bin Laden, uh, done the deal, and then got out. But you know, we thought we could do nation building in a in a a country that he really hasn't been in real terms a nation, if like ever. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it was just a blunder. Well, my son, when he was in Afghanistan, he was a combat medic. Uh, and he saw a lot of combat. He said, Dad, it was all about taking care of each other. I mean, we scratched our heads saying, why the hell are we here? And what we did was we took care of each other. But but I'll tell you, they were there to protect villagers. And, and the Taliban are extraordinarily brutal. And to think that they're going to do any sort of makeover and that they are not going to change the nature, oh. what you're going to see is return to nature. I don't That's think right. they're going to I don't think they're going to pacify the country. Uh, I don't think there's any appetite to go back in unless the administration gets embarrassed because there are uh, a large number of Americans there at the end well, of the day. I think there's still some schoolgirls from California that are still trapped behind the, those lines as well that they want to get out. So they, they've got some significant they do. issues that they right. have to resolve. Moving on, though, here, uh, Charles, I mean, let's, let's talk about this. Bloomberg article dated August 17th discussing Taiwan's premier defending the island's ability to withstand a Chinese attack after the U.S. exit from Afghanistan raised questions about American commitment to security issues in Asia. I mean, that's what happened. And now, I mean, that's August 17th. Now we're at October 10th. And actually, what, do you, what, are, we, what are we finding out now? That the Chinese flew 150, 150 sorties across the Taiwan's airspace? What does this mean? Every time there's a new administration, you have uh, adversarial regimes that try to test whether we'll push back. Uh, so the North, uh, the North Koreans, the Iranians, uh, the Chinese, the Russians, all of them are going to test in various ways. And the key point is to show that we're uh, firm in our resistance without being provocative. I've met with senior China, uh, senior Taiwanese uh, officials, and they couldn't be more concerned. But I would say that this goes beyond uh, one administration. And I think it's not just the weakness in Afghanistan that the Biden administration showed. I think that um, they have a problem that, no, that they're... Um, deterrent threats are not credible, partly because they haven't behaved in ways to make them credible, and partly because they want to drain the defense budget, which needs to be increased in terms of naval presence in uh, the South China Sea. Meanwhile, I think Taiwan has to spend a lot of money uh, upgrading their ability to shoot down uh, Chinese planes and to take down any amphibious assault. Just go back to the Trump administration for a minute. One of the things that the Trump administration did, although it was pretty good in establishing certain kinds of deterrence, when the Iranians attacked uh, the major oil refinery in Saudi Arabia, what Donald Trump said was, oh, this is bad, but he didn't do anything. 
And that's one of the things that pushed um, the whole Arab world, which is Mm anti-Iran, toward Israel as the strongest player in the region. They backed off a little bit now because the Biden administration so hates everything Trump did that they won't even mention the word Abrahamic Accords. They've tried to abolish that. So I think that it's it goes beyond one administration, but the Biden administration is in worse shape because they simply are not credible when they make counter threats and they have tried to reduce the defense budget. Uh, Well, I agree with that. I mean, David, it's obvious, though, that the Biden administration just wants to avoid foreign policy matters, whether it's overseas or at the border. Um, How confident are you that the American people are going to let that happen? Are the Democrats worried when you guys talk about this inside your little caucuses? When you talk about this inside your little caucuses, are the Democrats concerned about foreign policy at all? Americans in general, as I said earlier, are typically uh, disinterested in foreign policy. I mean, there are many studies showing that the average American can't even identify countries like Iraq and Afghanistan on a map. So uh, the the view of foreign policy tends to be pretty narrow and ignorant. Uh, But what this conversation is revealing is why it is so easy for our country to go to war because we, t- we tend to confuse war with strength and bombing with strength. You know, you remember minute, the, the David, major media, David. they declared that President Trump had finally become presidential when yes. he uh, started bombing countries in the Middle East. Uh, Jonathan, but, I'd like Jonathan uh, to reply when, to that. When, quick, a, uh, when a, a leader pulls us out of a war, we enter into what political scientists have called or they don't pull out of war because they fear entering what political scientists have called the stalemate freeze. And that's when inevitably there's going to be fallout. There are going to be consequences. Things aren't going to look good. And we confuse peace and diplomacy and restraint with weakness. So that's the Uh. contradiction here. (laughs) Nobody likes it when we're at war, but then everyone piles on when somebody ends a war. Okay, but wait a minute here. Trump, Trump did not start a war. His entire administration, he did not start a war. In fact, he took out um, al-Baghdadi and Soleimani, uh, and he, his drone strikes actually hit the right target, yeah, under like Biden. That's not true. I, I think, so, that's not I, I true. Think, the, I, the Obama administration during their second term implemented a number of standards and criteria to limit the deaths of uh, civilians. But that it didn't was work in Afghanistan. I was opposed to those drone strikes, but Trump removed all of those and increased drone strikes by over 300%. So that's just simply not true. But we don't but have it any- It is we, true we, that ahead, he didn't Charles. start a war. He, he, I thought he made some mistakes in, uh, in, in a number of areas, including the deal that he struck with uh, uh, Taliban. But to say, that drone strikes are the same as stri- starting a war is just misleading. No, that's okay. not what I'm saying. I was we're, saying to uh, we're gonna have our to... gracious host that it's not true that his drone strikes hit all the right targets. That's okay, well, I'm he saying. didn't take oh, out a family of 10. We're going to be back with you in the next, and we'll finish up this conversation and start on uh, uh, the discussion about Charles's uh, real clear politics mess, um, 
commentary. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hello, welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm your host this night, subbing in for Bruce Dumont, who I believe is at the White Sox game. He's a huge fan. And if you have a question for us or you want to enter the conversation, our phone lines are open. It's 1-800-723-8289. Moving on, uh, a special guest that we have on tonight, Charles Lipson, professor at the University of Chicago. He wrote in Real Clear Politics an article called It's Not the Top Line Number, It's the Bottom Line Goal. And it is, of course about the goals of the Democrats when they're considering a $3.5 trillion spending bill on top of a $1 trillion infrastructure bill. 
And, uh, uh, you know, Charles, you write here, that's the impasse as it currently stands. Joe Biden went to Capitol Hill hoping to convince House Democrats to do something, anything. He failed. The progressives stayed together, holding the infrastructure bill hostage to their larger goal of more social spending. That social spending is huge. Uh, you're talking about elder care, child care, community college, literally programs that would transform America. And we know once an entitlement starts in this nation, it is really hard to stop it. Charles, tell us more about your your commentary and what you see is going on here. Well, I think that there's properly a, a lot of concern and debate, some people in favor, some people against, about specific programs. Uh, other people uh, oppose because of the taxes and also because of the inflationary uh, impact and the idea of spending five uh, trillion or more dollars on top of an already overheated economy uh, is a very risky one. But the other point that I was trying to make, between clarifying where some of the debate la uh, lays right now, is it seems to me that what the Democrats are now fully committed to is what I would call a European social democracy program. Mm -hmm. It's an exaggeration when some people talk about Marxism. Uh, yes, there are Marxists in university campuses and here and there. But basically what you see among uh, in the modern Democratic Party is a party that wants America to look a lot more like France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, European dem social democracies. And that's, I think, a lot of what they are trying to do is put in entitlement programs that cannot be repealed. And w however small the initial funding is, and it's not tiny, it will be increased over time because it's an entitlement and cannot be effectively taken away. Well, it's interesting that you put it out that way. They, they def I mean, it's exactly what Kevin McCarthy said today uh, on a news program. He said that they want to transform America to look like big government Europe. Um, and, you know, but here's the deal. We're going to get big government Europe taxes. And so our corporate tax rate is set to go, you know, way above even the European rates, which would be devastating. You know, after the 2017 tax cuts, you had companies bringing business back into America, you're going to see the opposite effect. Um, I don't know how much of this, though, uh, and this is my concern. Uh, what do you think, David? Uh, I think the Democrats are betting big time that they can message better on the spending side than Republicans can message about the taxes. Well, first, I'd like to thank uh, Professor Charles Lipson, with all sincerity, for uh, accurately describing the position of progressive Democrats. And it is my position. Uh, he's correct that it is an, an exaggeration at times, a slander at other times, to equate this with Marxism or communism, as too many on the right wing do. Uh, this is a form of social democracy that we see in European nations. Uh, and I think that you're correct, uh, Jeannie, that uh, the majority of Americans, if you look at polling data, uh, they're in favor of the infrastructure package. Now, we can maybe bifurcate that and understand 
first traditional infrastructure and then what they're calling human infrastructure, which we can translate into social spending. But on the former, I would say that uh, Abraham Lincoln was our first presidential champion of infrastructure with the canals and railroads and the land grant system that created state universities. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower created the interstate highway system or at least championed it. Kennedy's new frontier programs were significant. Uh, before both of them, you had FDR and the New Deal. So there's a long American tradition of robust public spending to create shared infrastructure and services that can benefit all of us. And hey. I do think that there is public support for it. David, David, let's be, clear. let's be clear here, though. That infrastructure bill, only about 28 percent of it is traditional infrastructure. The rest is a bunch of green energy, honestly, nonsense, nonsense. And in, you know, the particular state that we live in, in Illinois, it doesn't make sense at all to do that uh, when you've got such rich uh, fossil fuel deposits and over 50 percent of our energy is uh, nuclear generated. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're only talking about 28 well, percent. Like, I think everybody be on board for 28 percent of real hardcore infrastructure spending, uh, you know, and so in. Not one trillion, but two hundred and eighty billion, or whatever it is. I mean, traditionally, you've you've spent about fifty billion in the national uh, ledger on core infrastructure. So I think yeah. people are willing to up it, not up this far. I mean, Paul Vallis, let's, let's turn well, to you. Well, you're a Democrat. You're a card-carrying Democrat. Uh, you ran as a Democrat. Um, okay, have they gone too far with this human infrastructure argument? Look, uh, you know, let's talk about the politics. I think there was a time when deficits mattered. Not that they ever did anything about deficits, but but they mattered. There was a time when the national debt mattered. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It's it's it, it's not a it's not a political albatross anymore. And I think and I think part of the re I think COVID did that to a certain extent, because, you know, it, it created this crisis, this atmosphere where deficits be damned, the national debt be damned, the doubling of the national debt. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And so so it, it's not a political downside. If the Democrats lose the coming election, it won't be because they want to have a huge social sur I mean, a huge uh, 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 you know, free education, free expanded health care, free college education. They're not going to lose because of that. They're going to lose because of the perception that that Biden is diminished, that he's out of control. And I think the Afghani thing has sown doubts. They're going to lose because of the debate over like things like the critical race theory. They're going to lose because they haven't gotten a handle on COVID and because they're in charge now. So, you know, so half the country i mean the country is really divided on this and 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 ultimately they're going to they're going to pay that price they're going to lose because there are a lot of parent, uh, there's a overreach so to speak yes. and and that is provoking a reaction yes. and it's just not it's just not provoking a reaction among Trump supporters. It's provoking a reaction among individuals and in, independents and things like that. So that is how the Democrats are going to lose. It's not because they want to spend like there's no tomorrow, at, at, because we've all become addicted to that. We've grown comfortable with just kind of disregarding what we're doing to, uh, you know, to the, our, our long term obligations, because anything we want, we'll just borrow and write Feels a check like and print money. money. That's right. It's funny. That's money. right. OK, but OK, Jonathan, here. 
Here's the deal, though. $80 billion more for the IRS, and then they want to spy on your banking account anytime you do something more than $600. Are Americans in for that? Because that's part of this plan, too. Yeah, so, I mean, with all due respect to um, you know, David's insistence that Lincoln was actually a Belgian-style social democrat, <laughs> I, I think that a far more interesting thing to talk about than what's in these bills, because nobody... I mean, we're talking about, tr- we're talking about trillions of dollars. And, yeah. and you know, it, four months ago, it was $6 trillion, then it was $4 trillion, now it's $3.5 trillion. Joe Manchin wants to get it down to $1.5 trillion. Yeah. It's like an auction in reverse. <laughs> and so more interesting than what's actually in them, since nobody really knows what's in them, uh, is the politics of it, uh, as Paul said. And what interests me here is that, uh, and this goes to David's point, I think, it, it is popular. The infrastructure bill would pass today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they won't bring it up for a vote separately because the the House leadership is in thrall, captured, hostage to its far-left progressives. And they have completely captured the White House, too. And, uh, you know, I think that the thing that people will not be okay with, ultimately, uh, is uh, a Democratic Party that is run by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So the politics of the infrastructure bill, I completely agree with. It's very popular. I wish it wasn't, but it is. Um, What's not going to be popular is full-on European-style social democracy. It won't be. It isn't. Um, and it will terrify Americans. And you'll see that in... I mean, you already see it. I, I, I see thought pieces from Democrats who are terrified about what's going to happen in 2022 because of this. They can't pass the infrastructure bill uh, because House Democrats, progressive House Democrats, will not allow the two to be voted on separately. It would pass if they did. That's very good. Charles, how does this end then? Um, We don't know because uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi is caught uh, between the dog and the hydrant. Uh, The dog (laughs) is the left, which wants uh, to hold out to package both bills together so that they can get them. And uh, the hydrant is centrist Democrats who think that they'll lose their House seats if they're uh, if they're in favor of all of this. So it it's unclear. the The other possibility is that they know they're going to lose the House anyway mm-hmm. next year. So they want to pass all of this so they can create this cradle to grave structure uh, before they go out of power. But I, uh, uh, they're trying to pass it on the basis of a president who didn't run on this platform right. and who doesn't have the overwhelming majorities uh, on Capitol Hill that were needed by uh, LBJ and before him, uh, FDR. All right. Well, that takes us into our break, and we will be back with more of this discussion after. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future. 
but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. And we're back. Okay. I failed to let my guests introduce themselves. So we're going to go around the horn here. And uh, Paul, okay. Yeah, you're, you're a Democrat, but honestly, you are a policy wonk and actually somebody who I find is very centrist. So give us a little bit more of your background. Just a longtime public servant. You know, I went to work for the state legislature during a far different time, if you remember, working for Phil Rock. But fortunately, I staffed the Revenue Committee with Don Clark Netsch, who had this this view of you need to work both sides of the aisle. So she allowed me to really network with uh, people on the Republican side in order to navigate the legislation through. It was a different time, as you, you well know. But uh, for uh, superintendent of, of four of the largest uh, of, of the, uh, the largest school districts in four different states, and not including uh, well, including Chicago and Philadelphia and Bridgeport, Connecticut, but. Uh, I rebuilt the schools in New Orleans after Katrina, and New Orleans is a 100% school choice uh, uh, district. Great. They not only have uh, they're they're not only all charter schools except for the select enrollment magnet schools, but they also have vouchers. So at the end awesome. of the day, I've kind of like 
I've been around a while. Good. Well, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about education more extensively, everything from mask mandates to vaccine mandates and, and what it's doing to our school system as well. Jonathan Greenberg, you're in studio with me. If you could give the people a little bit of sense of who you are. Yeah, I'm the least accomplished person on this panel. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I know about that. I, I, uh, I have a master's degree in public administration, and I'm a seminary graduate. Um, and after... Before seminary, I worked for Lieutenant Governor Joe Kernan uh, in India, who went on to become governor after Governor O'Bannon passed away. Um, and I left, uh, I left working for him to go to seminary, actually. Um, I lived in Jerusalem during the Second Intifada. I lived through uh, the worst part of that year. Uh, and um, when I left seminary, I went to work at APAC, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, the big pro-Israel lobby in Washington. I ended up, they moved me here to Chicago to be the Midwest political director, which I did for three congressional cycles before deciding to run for the state legislature on my own, which is where I met Jeannie Ives, mm -hmm. um, easily the most impressive person in the room when we did candidate training. Um, and uh, uh, so uh, that's where Jeannie and I, Jeannie, but that's yep. 10 years ago, by the way. Yes. 10 years ago. Long um, friendship. And uh, since then, I've, uh, I've been in nonprofit work. I worked for Illinois Policy Institute, a free market think tank here in uh, Illinois. Uh, and um, I ran my own nonprofit focused on publishing national security foreign policy stuff. Uh, mostly writing on Israel and, and the Levant and the Iran deal. Uh, and then uh, uh, for the last three years, I've uh, been working uh, at a, uh, a family, about a mid-sized family foundation, um, giving money to, uh, in the Jewish community here in Chicago and nationally, the pro-Israel community and the liberty movement. Terrific. Great. David Maserata, could you tell us a little bit more about you? Um, well, I, I won't hold a grudge. It's actually Masiotra. I'm sorry. Uh, you're forgiven uh, instantly. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, I uh, have lived in the Chicagoland area my entire life. Uh, I'm the author of five books, uh, including my latest, uh, I Am Somebody, Why Jesse Jackson Matters. Uh, I should also say that one of my other books is called Mellencamp American Troubadour, uh, because I know that John Mellencamp's music is about the only thing uh, that we've discussed at least about which uh, you and I agree, Jeannie. I know we're both fans. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I regularly write for many different publications, uh, in including Salon, The Progressive, uh, No Depression, Counterpunch. Uh, I'm a promiscuous writer, so you can find me. Uh, all over the internet, just type in my name in your favorite search box. Yes, and when I had to find guests, I immediately asked for you to come on as sort of the progressive liberal uh, because I find you very um, knowledgeable and affable about your positions. And so I appreciate that, David, very much. Charles, can Thank you tell you, us? Uh, you're welcome. Charles, what have you been up to? Now that you're Professor Emeritus. Well, the first thing I want to say, I want to, I want to agree with you about having people with diverse viewpoints engaging each other and not shouting and, and so forth. Boy, do we need more of that in this country. And Bruce uh, and his guests have done that for years. I, I started coming on Bruce's show, I think, before my voice changed. But, <laughs> but I've enjoyed coming on uh, as my voice has gotten deeper and deeper. Um, I um, continue to do writing in international relations, but I've become more and more interested in some of the what I would call deep problems of uh, American politics, the kinds of divisions we have. Uh, and I'm very supportive of free speech on college campuses, which I think is very endangered. 
and has been for some time and has now spread from college campuses out into uh, the wider world. I write a lot of op-eds for Real Clear Politics, uh, Spectator Worldwide, uh, Newsweek, others. Uh, and you can find everything at charleslipson.com, which is free, and all my articles are there. Well, Charles, you know what? You just segued us perfectly into the, the segment that I wanted to close this hour with, and that is the rhetoric. You have Democrat Senator Kirsten Cinema literally pursued into the bathroom by illegal immigrants asking her to pass that massive bill uh, because it includes amnesty for illegals. And in fact, that bill apparently, uh, according to my notes, includes uh, $100 billion for um, amnesty for 10 million illegals here in the country. And now, I mean, I think we should have debates. I just don't and think then Joe should... Biden did not condemn it. Joe Biden yes. said, oh, you know, it's part of the process. I, I just found that appalling, actually. I, David, shouldn't everybody find that appalling? I mean, honestly, pursuing a, a Democrat senator into the bathroom, anybody into the bathroom, is just uncalled for. Yes, I agree. I would never do that. And I would condemn those that would. But then I would also ask if everyone here, including yourself, uh, would forcefully condemn Donald Trump uh, for continuing to incite violence against political opponents and the Republican Party for now defending and providing cover for the January 6th insurrection, which the more we learn about, the more it becomes obvious was an attempt at a coup d'etat uh, in order to subvert and destroy our democratic system. So, I've never uh, heard of an armless coup d'etat. David, let's be serious. There's a matter of proportionality here. It's, it's much worse coming from Donald Trump, who is the leader oh, of the Republican I, Okay, Party. we're going to disagree on that one, David. Hey, thank you for joining us this hour. We had David on. We had Paul uh, Charles Lipson on. And continuing to the second hour, we will continue to have in studio Jonathan Greenberg, Paul Vallis, and the topic is vaccine mandates and schools. All right, we'll see you then. Jeannie, what a pleasure. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. All right, thank Her you, knowledge Jeannie. was limitless. Thank you, David. And still thank is. you, Charles. It's, it really is a pleasure. I, I was quite sincere in saying that, boy, we just need more talk like this Once, where people this engage each other and show it and kind of demonstrate it as a way that people can engage with each other, even though you and I might have strikingly different person at work, But as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Intelligent exchange. Uh, Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, 
your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. This is Jeannie Ives. I am sitting in for Bruce Dumont. Uh, and this is our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional in injections of rumor and innu innuendo, all up for offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain speaking Americans from coast to coast. We want your calls. We want to take your calls on these topics. Uh, tonight, and our phone line is open now. It's 1-800-723-8289. And in our second hour, not only do we have Paul Vallis in with us in studio and Jonathan Greenberg, but on the phone, the ex or on Zoom, our expert for this hour is Peter Breen. Peter is, a, actually, he is a power broker. He's a, been a public servant. And most importantly, he is a lawyer with the Thomas More Society, and he's been suing suing to protect people's religious rights against these vaccine mandates, which is something that we're going to talk about. But, uh, Bruce, I just want to warn you, you know what? This may be the last time I get to host your show, and here's why. I think the DOJ and the FBI just might be after me, <laughs> since I have actually been speaking up at school board meetings in my local area. And so apparently you can torch and loot businesses. You can burn down police stations and attack people on the street for no apparent reason with no consequences, but don't you dare think about challenging your local school board. I mean, this is what's happened in America, right? The National School Board Association recently sent a letter to the Biden White House imploring the president to take action against large numbers of parents across the country who continue to confront school board members over critical race theory, uh, mask and vaccine mandates, and in some cases, sexually depraved curriculum. The association actually suggested that those involved could, involved could be guilty of domestic terrorism. 
And as such, it also merits investigation from the Department of Justice and Education. The NSBA says that such a development would merit even more help from the DHS and FBI and suggests a review should examine appropriate enforceable actions using the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act developed to take on foreign terrorists after the 2001 9-11 incident. And um, so, Bruce, I'm just warning you, this may be my last time. Who knows if they're, they've got my number. Me too. Oh, you too, Paul. So I'm in good company. That's right. I am in good company here. I mean, uh, it's just utterly preposterous that we're going down this road. Um, Peter Brain, let's go to you first. Uh, you're on the line with us, correct? Yes, I'm right here. All right, great, Peter. You're you're a you're a parent. Your young ones are still, I don't think, school age yet. But I mean, as a lawyer, I mean, you look at this. Literally, I, what happened to freedom of speech? It, it's incredible, and and I'm remembering, uh, you know, we had all these reopen rallies when we were trying to get the schools back open, and and I, you know, I was out there in Glen Ellen with Paul. He came out and was kind enough to do one out in the western suburbs, and it just uh, the idea that speaking up at your school board is a domestic terrorism, that I mean, it, it so shocks you. Uh, you know, I, I remember, too, back in 01, when the Patriot Act and, and all these, you know, kind of we had the 9-11, I mean, the horrible incident, and then we had this Patriot Act, and the left were the ones that were saying, hey, you know, this is government overreach. And there were some of the libertarians on the right that were a little bit you know, suspicious of it as well. But we mostly, most of us said, well, you know, we, we need it because, you know, these are actual terrorists. They're killing Americans. And now you see what the left is doing, the new left, is doing with this insane power that they have and they've taken. Uh, and it leads just, just across the board through the COVID time. Uh, it's as if folks on the far left have decided uh, they, they've just thrown caution to the wind and they are taking powers uh, beyond anything anyone had contemplated. Uh, that, that were, you know, maybe they were put in place for good reason, but now they've taken it to an entire new level. I mean, whether it's on this topic or, or on, a, on a host of others related to COVID, uh, both here in the United States and across the, across the world. Well, you know, you, you raise a good point. I mean, uh, I think there's outrage in, in, everywhere. And, of course, Loudoun, Virginia, has been ground zero for much of the outrage when it comes to critical race theory and other things related to schools. I think if anybody who's been following this conversation at all over the last year understands that. And they have a heated, heated uh, governor's race that's going to be decided November 2nd of this year. And, uh, y you know, you've got Terry McAuliffe, who was just the governor a, a couple cycles ago, um, and he's coming back to try and r run again, and he's in trouble. He essentially, in a debate, said that, uh, you know, parents really aren't the primary ones responsible for their kids' education. It's better left to the educators. Paul, is this topic going to be his undoing along with the overreach by the Biden administration, which, by the way, there was additional information that was brought out saying that actually the Biden White House colluded with the DOJ to have the National School Boards Association actually uh, actually tee up the letter to send to DOJ, if you're following this, mm -hmm. so that they had a premise for which to then say, we may have to look into these parents as domestic terrorists. So, um Paul, I mean, is this does this spell trouble for the Democrats and, in particular, the Virginia governor's race? Well, look, I think he's in trouble, okay. particularly when he said that uh, uh, education is too important to be left to the parents, because, in effect, that's what he said. 
And uh, so, uh, you know, we had the the earlier talk where we talked about the three and a half billion dollars social spending bill and whether that could be the Democratic demise. And what's going to be the demise of the Democrats is going to be the the clash over the critical race theory. It's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be uh, the the uh, the uh, heavy handedness of the Justice Department that what they're doing is they're weaponizing the Justice Department to intimidate these parents. I mean, I, I know during the uh, during during the uh, uh, um, when COVID, when the schools were closed, I got involved on social media with all these parent groups that wanted their schools open, that new damage was being done. And these were families, these were affluent families. And they were totally frustrated and they were just talking about violations of the Open Meetings Act or sometimes when they would speak out, they would literally be gang tackled by, by some of the union stooges in these, in these school districts, harassed and intimidated. That's when the FBI should have investigated. But I think this is going to be their undoing. I think, this is, I, I think the Democrats are much more vulnerable on these issues. And, you know, uh, Carville, John Carville pointed that out uh, when he warned the Democrats that these are the things that are going to lead to their undoing. So I think it's what they're doing. You mean James Carville? I mean James Carville, yeah. John Carville. Okay, James so we, we've got some callers on the line. We're going to go first to John on uh, line one, I believe. He's in the Chicago suburbs. John, do we have you on the phone? Or is it Kevin? Okay, I'm looking at the... Okay, Kevin from Austin, Texas? Yeah, Kevin's Austin, absolutely. Okay. Um, Jeannie, fan of yours, I'm originally from Illinois and love following your political career up there. Oh. Um, <laughs> my short political that, career? Not as short as mine. Uh, well, I, I hope you continue. And, and Thank so, you. Uh, Paul, you should as well. Um, I do have to say that the, the parents that are going to these, they're going to miss the snow. They should have dressed up in all black and had masks on and helmets, and then the DOJ wouldn't go away. Oh, yes, yes. That's a good idea. Next school board meeting, instead of red shirts. Or like the the Handmaid's Tale, like every Supreme Court justice uh, nomination hearing. I mean, if if they had costumes like that, the DOJ doesn't get after them. Just look at what, I mean, they need to learn something from Antifa. Antifa has got it together because, you know, then you can riot and get away with it. Excellent call, Kevin. Thank you so much for calling in. Okay, we're headed to a break. We'll be back with our next caller. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing 
then probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Okay, we're getting ready. <clears throat> All right, welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. Uh, our phone lines are open, 1-800-723-8289. Jonathan Greenberg's in studio with us. Uh, Jonathan, uh, so what do you think? Um, are you also one of those parents that may be in jail with me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will happily follow you to the gulag. Um, there was a, there was this cartoon making its way around Twitter. Uh, it's a bunch of people on a plane with their hands up, and the the guy in the middle of the picture is saying, "These smug pilots have lost touch with regular passengers like us. Who thinks I should fly the plane?" And, and the the comment there is on you know parents having a say in their ch their own children's education. I'm a parent of uh, three school age kids. And uh, my response to that on Twitter was, yeah, but 100% of the planes that take off from O'Hare land safely somewhere else. <laughs> so if they're, but, you know, I guarantee you if, what, what is it, uh, kids who are reading below the expected standard, it's something like 50, it's almost half of the kids who are below standard reading level. Well, in, this, in the if, state of Illinois, right, only if, one third of the kids read or do math at grade level. See, perfect. So if 67% of the planes that took off from O'Hare were crashing, you better believe passengers Passengers may not be flying the planes, but we demand answers about why all the planes are crashing. So I, don't, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Of course it's perfectly reasonable that parents should not only be complaining about uh, mask mandates and you know, Marxist ideologies making their way into you know, wokest religion, uh, making its way into curriculum. Well, of you, course we should say something you've about got it. A, you've got a ton of education fads going on. One of them is this so-called portrait of a graduate where they put all these soft skills around uh, a, you know, some sort of Venn diagram, and this is what your graduate's supposed to look like. Right. And um, you know, actually, in my school district, uh, one of our graduates is Staff Sergeant Robbie Miller. 
Medal of Honor recipient, gave up his life in Afghanistan to save 21 other people. I mean, all you need to do is put his portrait up there. Right. And That's oh, by the way, they didn't need some educational consultant to come in and then to spend two years of time and some money to decide what a portrait of graduate was. And in that school district, only 50% of the kids. I, I have a freshman in high school. Are at grade level. I, I have a freshman in high school. And during parent orientation, they told us that one of the missions is over the next four years to, for them to help my son figure out who he is, find his identity. And I, and I actually, that's not your <laughs> no, job. That's not your job. That's not what I want you to do. Well, Especially given that I know what your politics are, that is not what I want you to do. Precisely. But they want every kid to have their own personal friend at right. that school. No, I'm sorry. Don't need that. I just want you to educate him. Ed, you're from Chicago. We're going to take Ed. He's on the line with us. Um, welcome to the program Beyond the Beltway. Or Edward. Do we have Edward from Chicago? Uh, nope, I guess not. Do we have Ray from El Paso? Ray. Ray, yes. Are you here from El Paso? Yeah. Yes, this is me. I was wondering all this craziness about CTR, all this craziness about the CPR. Uh, why don't you just get the kids out of school and then the, the good teachers, they get out of that uh, uh, building and start their own uh, schooling uh, and, uh, and, and and just bring up the kids with uh, moral values of teaching rather than go through the government schooling because it's just not working. Uh, they're all woke. Okay. okay thank you, Jeannie. All right. Thank you, Ray. Ray. Well, you know, this is a perfectly teed up question to Paul Vallis, who ran uh, Louisiana's uh, schools, uh, New Orleans schools after Katrina. You basically you're you're a huge advocate of school choice and charter schools. Uh, Paul, I mean, that I mean, that's what most people are calling for. Candace Owens, she's saying get your kids out of public school yesterday. Everybody's saying the same. Well, let me make an observation. What is clearly happening, first of all, do, uh, there is no telling the tremendous damage that's been done during COVID. You know, I, I tell people that COVID is not destroying us. Our response to COVID is destroying us. I mean, which communities have gotten hurt most by the business closings? Not the affluent, but the poor, the minority, the black and Latino communities. Wh who's, which children have been hurt most during this COVID period for uh, schools being closed, like the Chicago Public Schools being closed for literally a year? Black and Latino kids, poor kids. I mean, it's brutalized the poorest population. Uh, which is the population least, least, most reluctant not to get vaccinated? It's the poor pop. It's the black and Latino population. So at the end of the day, we've been we have set ourselves back. And what you see happening uh, uh, at the national level on education is a drift away accountability, uh, a move away from standards. And look, you know, I, you know, when when uh, I was responsible for the Chicago Public Schools, we would routinely go in and reassess and revamp our curriculum, develop curriculum guides, local school councils. The parents could vote whether or not they wanted their school to have a Latino-centric curriculum or an African-centric curriculum. It was all locally determined. But at the end of the day, what's happening now is we're seeing a drift away. There's more time being diverted away from the core instructional areas, which is hurting our kids, number one. Number two, there's a drift away from accountability. Do you know that teachers in Illinois now do not have to pass the basic skills exam. Oh my gosh. But they've got to be educated in how to deliver the so-called woke curriculum. And number three, 
the whole approach is creating racial division. We're, we're getting back to a period of educational segregation. So what we're doing is we are self-destructing. You know, if this were, if this were a, a kind of a, a, Rus- a, a Russell-Chinese conspiracy, they couldn't have come up with a more effective ah, way to destroy us. This is the not real only, Russian collusion. Not only economically, but nah, I'm not suggesting that it is. But I, I mean, know. But if they could have dreamed up a way for us to self-destruct, both economically as well as through our educational institutions, I mean, this is the way to do it. Because don't think for a second that they're self-indulging themselves in this type of uh, uh, you know, bizarre behavior. Okay, Edward is back with us from Chicago. But before I take that phone call, I want to jump over to Peter Breen. Peter Breen, you talk about, uh, you know, Paul just talked about actually the poor and minority kids are really suffering the most. And they're, they're the ones who are in critical need of teachers there. But you've got walkouts of teachers because they don't want to get the vaccine mandate. And I know that you have taken this issue on, I believe, in New York. Haven't you helped defend people, get 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 them a religious exemption? Tell us a little bit about how that's going. What do these teachers do? We know at the local level here in our area, teachers that are in court over not wanting to take the vaccine mandate. So where I mean, what's the future for the, for these these teachers? Well, the vaccine mandate is a very tough issue from a legal perspective. We've had thousands, literally thousands of people across the country asking for help from us. It's it it is uh, it's one of those things, though. Our laws are designed for a time of smallpox and polio and you know diseases that you were killing vast swaths of of the population, and that for which we got vaccines that were actual vaccines. They were not the therapeutics that we're dealing with now, and so that the laws were not really intended for this situation. And so a lot of times uh, the individual employee, whether it's in the educational institution or or in any other setting, they're really on a disadvantage. Uh, So an employer can require these vaccines as a general matter, but you've got to assert either a medical or a religious exemption, you know, sincere. And unfortunately, we're seeing, though, uh, there are some employers, many employers are good. They're taking the religious exemptions, uh, they're taking the medical exemptions, working with the employee, making sure that uh, they can continue to work and that folks are safe. Uh, But we are seeing some bad actors. The state of New York was a horrible actor. We got an injunction against them. We've sued the University of Colorado, uh, which had a policy where they would only accept the uh, religious exemptions from people who were Christian scientists and those faiths, but would not accept them from Catholics or other Christians. Uh, so we, we've had problems across the country with this. Uh, very difficult situations, though. And uh, so that I, I don't but know you, where this is going to go. I'm assuming at some point to the U.S. Supreme Court. But it's it's it, this is the vaccine mandate is just one of these little places where uh, you're seeing the government go way, way, way too far um, because folks, folks who want to get the vaccine are getting it. They're getting it in huge numbers. And so you're looking at, you know, the, the small minority that have religious exceptions. Some of them have already had COVID, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, they're no harm. You know, let them be. And, uh, you know, that's in the best American tradition. But again, well, very tough situation. You know, we're handing a lot of folks at the firm. I got to tell you, Thomas though, this Moore is... Society down. Good. This this is one of those situations where you and if people know my my political background, I pretty much I, I like right to work states. I'm not really a union fan, but honestly, uh, the the FOP here in the Chicago area, they they're opposed to this vaccine mandate. There's teachers who's unfortunately their teacher unions are not sticking up for them, but they're opposed to the vaccine mandate. And it seems to me like the public sector employees actually should should maybe be on the forefront of protecting the rest of us 
from having to live with a vaccine mandate just to stay employed. Uh, I mean, but you're saying, and we've had conversations before, Peter, um, that uh, honestly, it's a very narrow window for people and that they're just going to have to put up or shut up. Well, and, and I'd say, you know, religious exemption is probably the way most folks that I'm talking to are going to be. That, that's the access they have. But it's not a get out of jail free card. You have to work with your employer. And there are some mm-hmm. employers that are being unreasonable. Uh, and unfortunately, the way our employment laws are set up, uh, you know, and, and Jeannie, you alluded to this. I mean, you and I were both good Republicans who, you know, we, we were pro-business, but we didn't quite understand. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't ever contemplated that a business would so turn on the individual rights of their employees to to just mercilessly fire thousands of people uh, just for, for not, you know, wanting to get uh, the, the vaccine and who have legit sincere religious objections because there are uh, there are those out there so but peter we're, we're disregarding that I, I, yeah disregarding that you're, you're a lawyer okay l- let's be clear here i don't I, if i don't want to get the vaccine i don't want to get the vaccine why can't i just not get the vaccine i don't care if it's religious exemption or not what if i have natural immunity i mean this is what i find and you're basically saying why do I there's need no choice right why do i need an ex- i mean i'm um, why, Rabbi. Why, why does anybody need Absolutely. to vaccinate? Rabbi Jonathan Greenberg, right. way in and on I, here. Look, from... I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm pro-vaccine. I think I, Paul and I are on the same page. Yep, I think absolutely. people should get it. Um, but I also think that if you look at who is getting sick and dying right now uh, in the Delta variant wave, it's people who largely didn't get vaccinated. I don't feel any ethical obligation mm-hmm. to save them from their own decisions. Let them get sick. At the same time, natural immunity has, what, anywhere from 13 to 27% times the more. Right, but stop making people get vaccinated. If they don't want to get vaccinated, they're taking on a risk. They understand the risk. Let them take it. And, Peter, you're saying the law's, not, uh, the law's on the side of the employer still. It is, but, I mean, Jonathan's right. But, yeah, the employers have the upper hand. Over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. 
the drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. All right. Welcome back. Okay. Uh, you know, before it gets too far uh, gone, we're going to talk to Edward in Chicago. He's got a question for us. He's on line one. Edward, welcome to the program. Yes. yes good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. That's good. So uh, I want to get your panel's reaction as far as these anti-vaccine people like the uh, Armed Forces and Southwest and it, all these other people. How do you see that in the next year's coming elections? Even Europe is getting ready for bigger protests than before. Do you see that uh, anti-incumbent uh, being, uh, you know, the incumbents being kicked out? Well, that's a great question. Uh, yeah. You do. You have 600 United employees that are suing over it. Uh, you've got Southwest po- people that are starting to do it as well. So you've got these pockets of folks organizing together to sue over not having the vaccine mandate. I think that it is a liberty question that will be part and parcel of the 2022 elections. But, um, you know, Jonathan, what, what's your opinion? Yeah, I, I think that. Um, so, first of all, it shouldn't just be people who are opposed to getting the vaccine uh, who are on the side of individual liberty here. Right. People like me. I just had my Moderna, my Moderna booster on Friday morning and I I strongly believe that people need to be able to make this choice for themselves and uh you know the the data is pretty clear uh if you are a child who's 12 months or under uh and you get 12 sick, years 12, 12 months oh okay. and, and and under you can get seriously ill from covid if you are an unvaccinated person uh, over 18 uh, you can theoretically get seriously ill but much older the other comorbidities like age matter a lot but the overwhelming majority of people who are getting seriously ill right now, like statistically overwhelming, are people who chose not to get vaccinated. So people like me have absolutely no reason to be forcing people to do anything. Um, it's not impacting vaccinated people, and we should leave people alone. Uh, however, uh, vaccinated people are also getting COVID and dying. They're, they're 100%. Getting, they're getting COVID. They're overwhelmingly not likely to die. Yeah. It's it's a it's a no, they are they a, are dying. There are there are cases where they do, but it's uh, again you that it's overwhelmingly unlikely that they'll get sick and die. And so, uh, because I believe that, 
then it has no impact on me whatsoever to allow you to make a different decision. If you're if you're going to be telling people, okay, back to the political question here. Yeah, you know, Paul, I, think, I think this is the political you think, question. Okay, yeah. but it, does it, it affect me? Is the political question? Okay. Look, the bo- look. The bottom line is, if you're vaccinated, it's highly unlikely you are going to die. And there's always anecdotals, and 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 we, we've got to be careful to do to not do what what the other side does, which is to take that one incident where someone died, maybe a child died of COVID, and to say, oh my God, look, we've got to vaccinate everybody under the age of twelve because right. a children one or two children who had pre-existing conditions in Chicago died of COVID. There's been 120 kids murdered in the city of Chicago since COVID. There's been six individuals who have died from COVID. I think all, if not most, had pre-existing serious health care uh Well, there's conditions. also been more children shot in Chicago. Well, that's what I mean, 120 yeah, kids then, shot. No, th- then the entire country has had die of COVID. Well, the bottom line is, you know, if there's a pandemic, you know, I did a piece, I posted a piece saying COVID is killing our kids, not the disease itself, but the response, having schools closed, having kids on the street. And believe me, those those deaths are not over because those individuals who are now walking the streets Mm -hmm. or who are going out and car. I mean, do you realize that nine percent of the of those arrested for shooting people in Chicago and eight percent of those arrested for killing Someone in Chicago and 49 percent of those are arrested for carjackings are teenagers, are teenagers. So so they're not only being I mean, they're not only victims, but they're victimizing. And there is a covid connection. But but on the politics, I'll tell you this. Okay. As a father of uh, as a uncle of school teachers and as a father of cops and firefighters, uh, I mean, look, they uh, there's a lot of police and firefighters out there who are they got. They got uh, the vaccine, but they don't want to be told that they have to vaccinate. They don't want to be told that they have to report that they were vaccinated. So I think there's a pop- population out there that has done, I believe, the right thing, particularly if you're at a certain age. Although I always tell my son, you know, when you're on top of that fire you roof, knocking a hole in, on the top of the roof and the smoke is coming out, what's more dangerous, the smoke coming out or getting vaccinated? You know, because those are risky, risky jobs. Absolutely. But, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who who have been vaccinated, who don't want to be told by the government that they've got to show their vaccination card. They're vaccinating for the reasons that you articulated, because it's just mm-hmm. a smart thing to do. And if they don't want to vaccinate, then they have to live with the consequences. OK, we're, we're going to bring in Peter Breen here once again. Peter, uh, you know, Paul brought up a good question. Illinois has a really pretty robust health conscious act, which goes to like what Jonathan had been saying earlier. Yeah nothing to do with religious freedom or anything like that. I just don't want to. I just consciously don't want to have this vaccine. How how good is that law? And what's that look like across the other states, uh, you know, particularly? In Illinois, it's called the Conscientious Objectors Act. It's a health care mm-hmm. provision. Yes. But it's never been tested. We've we've had well, and I'll I'll tell you it, it not it hasn't been tested in this particular context, but right. it has been upheld repeatedly by the Supreme Court and the appellate court. Cool. We have uh, it was actually we have some of the strongest conscience laws in the country, uh, and so there has uh, been a move afoot. Governor Pritzker has demanded that the legislature repeal that law during the veto session coming up in Springfield. Uh, and, and now the law was initially the real use of it and the fight over it was the uh, the ability of to preserve the ability of healthcare professionals to not participate in abortions. So that's really where it started. But the law was drafted broadly. 
broadly enough so that you could refuse a vaccine if your conscience, uh, if it was against your conscience. Now, here's the problem. It's, it's still not the get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, because that's okay. got to be a sincere belief. It's it's something akin to religion. They use the word conscience, but it's akin to religion. That's sort of a strength. So I, I hear people saying, well, I don't want to get masked and tested, so I'm going to use the Healthcare Right of Conscience Act. I, I don't, I mean, I have not yet in thousands of intakes at our firm seen a, a solid uh, religious type reason to oppose masking and testing. But absolutely, on the vaccine side, this law should be of help. But again, there are federal laws and others that also would assist us. And we've got to remember, mm -hmm. now, I see polling saying 60% of the public support these mandates. But in politics, you know, plenty of folks can say, well, yeah, I support something, but they can support it to a mild degree. When you're talking about firing thousands of people, mm -hmm. each of those people has family, they have friends, they have others. And you want to talk about getting somebody worked up enough to get involved in politics and get really mad at someone, you fire them, take away their employment, uh, surprise, and just boom, out of nothing. Uh, that is going to get a lot of people mad, so that could be a political groundswell. We, we, we may not be able to poll to test, but we'll see at the polls in November 2022. Very good point, Peter. That's a really excellent analysis there. I appreciate that. We're going to take a call now. Uh, we're like to, we'd like to hear from Joy. Uh, she's from Spokane, Washington. Welcome to the program, Joy. Do we have her, Frank? <laughs> okay, we're trying to pull her in here. Joy, are you there? Nope, she out? Okay, she's out. All right. Well, that's okay. I mean, this is a this is such a rich target to, to discuss. I mean, there's oodles. Can, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Oh, Joy's back. Okay, Joy, do we have yes. you on Beyond the Beltway? Welcome to the program. What's your question? Hey, I'm well, it wasn't a question. Uh, well, it is part of a question, but I am on the left, and I just am so frustrated that this individual freedom, this idea that it's all for me, has become the top priority of the right, and it's what that is articulated every time. I just don't understand. You look... And again, I'm from I'm on the left. So a lot of things that you're all arguing against, I support. And a lot of my support is that we live in communities. That's what the United States is about. And so, yes, you know, if people had gotten vaccinated, we wouldn't need mandates. Why do we have laws about littering? Why do we have laws about a lot of things that help the common good? Well, it's because people don't serve the common good. People don't think of others. And we have, I'm in Washington, but next door, which is a very unvaccinated state of Idaho, <laughs> we have being closed because there's the teachers and the students are catching COVID and they're out. How does that help anyone that their, their kid whose parents may have been vaccinated can no longer go to school? They've gone back to remote. We have hospitals, particularly rural hospitals in Washington and Idaho who are, have beds in the hallways who can't send them to Spokane because we have unvaccinated COVID patients and we're stopping surgeries. We're stopping procedures for people with cancer. I mean, why can't we work for the common good anymore? Why can't we support each other? 
And I feel like the right, especially with Trump, has been just so, um, just, it's like, what is for me? Selfish, right? How can I against everyone? In Idaho, they closed a, a school board meeting because the right was threatening the school board members. They were starting oh. to break into the school board. Well, Joy, um, uh, Joy, let me let me stop you there. Okay, so do you think those school board members? Uh, I mean, do, do you think the FBI should come across come after those parents? Oh, no, I don't think. I mean, okay. to call them parents, not. I am so tired of the right just saying it's me 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 i will do what's for me Those well unvaccinated okay. people can die it's me oh, I, me me oh, oh I said that. I'll, I'll respond to that. all right well okay uh we'll we'll be responding to joy after the break thank you for calling in joy we appreciate all the the, the commentary we can get from all sides thank you Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Jill, why didn't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. 
If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. This is our last segment. Before we go further, Peter Breen, I'd like you to tell the audience a little bit more about you and your work at Thomas More Society. And you may want to remind them, (laughs) you guys are inundated with thousands of people requesting help on these uh, religious exemptions to the vaccine mandate. So, Peter, why don't you give us a little bit more about who you are? Sure. And what we have been doing, so we, our law firm does come from the more conservative, uh, we're a Catholic, more inspired uh, law firm, although obviously, you know, my clients include everybody from Buddhists to Catholics and evangelicals and everybody in between atheists uh, and, and folks of all stripes. But what we've been, we've done is set up a, a website for folks who are facing a vaccine mandate, aren't sure what to do at thomasmoresociety.org and more is with one O, thomasmoresociety.org. Get on over there. You can click the link and see. Um, really, again, it's, it's it, we just can't handle all these requests, and all of the public interest firms are just inundated. But there are ways around, and for most folks, we are able to get relief for them, whether students or uh, staff who are facing these, these issues. But it is extremely serious. I've got to tell you, I've talked to so many people that are shocked because you know, you're used to losing your job because you do a poor job. You're used right. to losing your job, you know, wave of firings, uh, you know, some sort of a, you know, mass layoffs, what have you. You know, we, we, we've been through downsizing. But in this case, folks are, I mean, they're shell-shocked when uh, they put in for their exemption or they say, I don't want that vaccine. And, you know, they get fired. And it really is, is very difficult for folks. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's shocking for all of us. But I would say, you know, get right on it. If you see a mandate coming down the pike, get right on it. And it, and it may mean you need to find another employer. Uh, frankly, find somebody that will value your skills. I know, uh, fortunately, folks have been able to move in a lot of cases right now. But, but again, stay right on that. Have um, you, have you, know, you and, Peter? And yeah. Yeah. Have you had any uh, issues with military yeah. folks? Because I, I have a son who's a Navy pilot. He oh. was pretty much forced to get the vaccine. And I have a son at West Point. He's the same thing. So, I mean, do you have any military that you're representing in this issue at all? Because they really are, they're in a really hard spot. I mean, you've heard rumors that they can't get an honorable discharge and we don't know where that's going. And so, um, and in fact, there's there's one one congressman I know who's looking into that. Uh, But have you dealt with that issue? We are dealing with every branch of the service. The problem wow. we've had is it appears it's up to a lot of times the individual commander as to what what is being done with a particular service member. So we we've not been able to launch a lawsuit against the whole military as you know all the branches. But I mean, I've, I've got somebody in the Coast Guard who is an absolute top notch uh, young man who, uh, you know, they're telling him dishonorable. Uh, you've got other folks that are maybe getting a general under less than honorable conditions uh, and, and just a variety of things, you know, and some being told, you know, it's insubordination. Uh, you, know, you might be subject to court martial. All of this, I mean, it's, it's outrageous uh, because you've got to respect the military members' religious exemptions. Uh, you know, I, I do want to say, I, I'm glad you brought me on right after that, that very interesting caller from Washington State. And I have some co-counsel out in Washington 
who are of the same persuasion that she is. Uh, you know, that's something maybe in the water out there uh, for folks. Uh, but the idea was, was uh, this idea, you know, we want community and all of that. That's, that's absolutely what everyone on the right wants as well. But a strong community can only persist in this country when we respect one another's deepest convictions. And, you know, we've got a country where we can't and don't trust our experts anymore because they won't level with us and be straight with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know, you know, for full well that the, the folks that are, you know, have obesity issues or who are elderly mm -hmm. needed to get that shot right away. Right. And some of them may have not done so because nobody could figure out what the truth was. Uh, so that is really, you know, part of what the problem that we're looking at from the right is, you know, there's I mean, no most folks are not anti-vaccine altogether on the right, but they want to know what's going on. They want to know why. And so really on the on the on the general principles, we fully agree with the last caller on the principles. The application is just totally well, the other way. I think uh, Jonathan, folks, I, Jonathan and I had a little bit of discrimination there. <laughs> I mean, you know, this country really was not founded on community. It was founded on individual liberty. Individual liberty. That's what's protected. Yeah. You're protected against your government. Not only well, that, religious but, liberty. Not only that, but what are, what are religious liberty? What are communities made up of so, if no, not but, individuals? Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. You know, I think there's a couple. See, but I, I got to tell you. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I say Let's, real quick. Okay, families, you made family a real units and religious units. Yes. So it's not totally individual. That's okay. my that I'll, I'll let, let But you know, you made a very important point because both sides have so politicized this that there's there's so much misinformation out there that it's creating doubts across the board. And I think that's you know, the enemy, you know, your enemy is really ignorance or for that matter confusion. And I think that's sowing uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's causing a lot of our problems right now. But, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, if, if you're in the military and you're required to, I mean, you can't tell the military what vaccinations you're going to take or what. I mean, the military but, required. But I, that's, that is part yeah. of the problem. Yeah, I mean, there Actually, are. The, the, the military has always had I, vaccination mandates. I, I get it, yeah. but not experimental use vaccination yeah. mandates, which is what happened here. Mm -hmm. And on, on top, because my kids got kind of basically conjoled into right. doing it. No, I'm not just for experimental it. use con. Uh, oh. at, 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 you know, and this is this is not. Well, let me. This let is me not tell smallpox. You, the, the this is not a. The, this is a vaccine nobody, for which 99 percent of the most healthiest population yep. in our country is the, the military. They are going to be survivors of this. This is not going to be I'm a problem not, for them at all. I'm not defending the military. I'm just pointing out that the military. I mean, if there's one institution that has experimented with its uh, employees yes, in it the United States it's military. Yes. I mean, look at the look at the stuff that they had them taking in Iraq. So, yes, I mean, the military I don't has agree been notorious about that. On the uh, planes on D-Day. Uh, that's and, right. And I don't agree about that. Oh, my God, yeah, Not a good track you know, record there. It's one thing to just lose your job. It's another thing to get a dishonorable I, I discharge. Agree. That is devastating. That that goes with you Look, throughout it, life. It's this. That's it, the problem This here. is the, Nobody who doesn't want to take the vaccine should have to take the I vaccine. Agree. Period. Full Period. stop. Full stop. Agree. And it's the same thing on masking. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I mean, you know, yeah. the earlier caller talked about the outbreak in schools. You, you know what constitutes an outbreak in a school in Illinois? If two people get infected, <laughs> if two people get infected, that's an outbreak. So Lane Tech could have two people get infected. What do they have, 4,200 students? Okay, but it's going it's further outbreak. now. They're, I mean, literally, they're literally quarantining kids yeah. if they come to a school with a runny nose. Oh, they have them in rooms. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us tonight. This was Beyond the Beltway with some of the best political commentary I've heard in a long time. Bruce Dumont, thank you for sitting in with me. If I am 
not harassed by the FBI. I hope to be back here as a guest or a host. Thank you all for joining me on Beyond the Beltway. Peter, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your expertise with the Thomas More Society. We absolutely appreciate what you're doing for people around the United States defending their religious freedom. Keep up the good work. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.